the tide's done what it did last time. There we go. Okay. <laughs> you don't want. Ready? Three, two. Good morning. Uh, welcome to Church at Home. My name is Simon Clegg and I'm the pastor of St Barnabas Bible Church here in Cape Town, South Africa. Uh, if you're new to us, we're delighted that you're joining us this morning and I hope by the grace of God that our Bible talk this morning will be an encouragement and a blessing to you even as you continue in fellowship with your local church. Uh, we're currently in a series in the Gospel of Mark which is really an introduction to the Christian message. And uh, if you have questions about the Christian faith and would like someone on the team to contact you, then can I encourage you to visit our website www.sbbc.org.za Please leave your contact details on the homepage and we will get in touch with you. So now, as we begin, can I invite you to open your Bible to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, and I will be reading from verse 21. Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, reading from verse 21. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an evil spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak, because they knew who he was. Well, just so far, uh, let's pray and ask for God's help as we study his word together. Heavenly Father, you have taught us that we are not to live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. We pray that you would come to us this morning as a father with little children, and that you would break down for us the bread of life. We pray that you would not only open our mouths that we may feed, but also our hearts that we may inwardly digest the food of the gospel. And we pray that as we look again into your word, that we may find the Lord Jesus Christ as the bread of life, who's come down from heaven, that in him we might enjoy eternal and everlasting life. So speak now, we pray, 
In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, one of the things uh, about a crisis like the one that we're facing at the moment is that it is in many ways a test of true leadership. Uh, Some leaders who appeared to be on top of things before the coronavirus hit uh, now look surprisingly weak. While some of the leaders that we weren't really sure about are showing themselves to be surprisingly effective. Now, I think a crisis does that. It reveals who the true leaders really are. And uh, as the global crisis continues to unfold, we are being reminded again and again that a true leader has two key qualities. First, he has a grip on reality. Uh, He sees the situation as it really is. And second, he has the power to help people through it. And uh, for a true leader, both are needed. I mean, if he has a good understanding of the problem, but no power to do anything about it, people will quickly lose confidence in him. Equally, if he has plenty of power, but no real understanding of the problem, well, that's also hopeless. But a leader with both of these qualities inspires confidence and trust. People will follow him. Now, as we read Mark's Gospel, we find both these qualities perfectly in Jesus Christ. What we've seen so far is that Jesus has started his public ministry and announced himself as God's promised king. And he's begun to prove it. Uh, We've seen him calling people to follow him, And uh, last week, four hard-working men left a perfectly good job and immediately started to follow him. Now, this morning, we're looking at two little paragraphs which are going to show us more about his irresistible authority. So, if I was to ask myself this question, if Jesus is the king, and if he calls people to follow him, Why should I do that? Well, the first paragraph this morning is going to encourage me to follow him because it tells me that he has irresistible authority even over supernatural powers. Therefore, I would be a fool not to follow. The second paragraph tells me that he has incredible love for people. uh, A patient, kind, generous giving love and therefore I would be extremely blessed to follow him but it's important I think to put these qualities in their proper context Uh, a ministry friend was asked to speak on the title what can Jesus do for me now that of course is a classic consumer idea isn't it I mean, we can just imagine the church council saying to one another, uh, let's get someone to come along and uh, answer the question, what can Jesus do for me? Because that's what people want to know. Lots of people will come. And uh, my friend was expected to say things like, well, Jesus brings me comfort. uh, He brings me peace. He brings me happiness. And of course, I don't doubt for one moment that Jesus does indeed bring those wonderful things. But you see, the people sitting there 
would be thinking, well, how nice for you. Uh, I get all that and more from a nice bottle of red wine. But I'm glad that you get all that from Jesus. Good for you. But you see, if we took the same topic, what can Jesus do for me? And we were to ask Christians in Syria or North Korea or Pakistan to come and speak on that topic this morning, I suspect they would say something like this. Well, Jesus brings me a huge amount of opposition and hatred and trouble and abandonment. But he is absolutely worth it. And you see, people listening to a talk like that would say, well, you've got to explain that. You've got to tell me what is so great about him. Because the hostility and the opposition are huge. Well, I believe that our verses this morning, if they were being read by Christians in Syria or North Korea or Pakistan, would be deeply comforting to them. And I believe that as we read these verses in the midst of the global pandemic, they'll be extremely helpful to us. So two points this morning. Uh, The first little paragraph I've called, Listen Well to Jesus' Words. You'll notice that Jesus begins by teaching in the synagogue and then he speaks a word of great power to a man who's under some form of satanic control. Listen well to his words. Uh, That's what people are doing in persecuted countries this morning. They're saying, I absolutely need to hear what Jesus says. And so do we. And the second paragraph I've called, Look Well at Jesus' Deeds. Because if we want to know who Jesus really is and whether we should follow him, well, we need to see that his words and his works belong together. So, let's look at the first of these two paragraphs. Listen well to Jesus' words. Verses 21 to 28. Well, it's the Jewish Sabbath. Uh, Jesus goes into the synagogue, which is where all the men in the village would have gone. And although he's not a trained rabbi, he's given an opportunity to teach. Normally, he would do that sitting down. So I guess you might think this is really rather disappointing. Uh, We've just heard that Jesus is the king, and so we're expecting him to do something very marvellous and exciting. But he starts by preaching. And uh, for those of you who hate sermons, well, I guess verse 21 is a deeply disappointing verse. The Australian evangelist John Chapman famously said, there's nothing worse than bad preaching. But he also said, there's nothing better than good preaching. And I guess we know what he means. Well, notice that Jesus' preaching is absolutely gripping. Look at verse 22. It comes to these people like a bomb. Uh, We're told that he began to teach and uh, we're told 35 times in Mark's Gospel that Jesus is a teacher. So please don't make the mistake of thinking that Jesus is a kind of action man who always went around doing fantastic miracles and nothing else because he's a faithful and highly effective teacher. 
But uh, in verse 22, you'll notice his authority amazes them. Now, I was trying to imagine this week what it would have been like to sit there and listen to Jesus speaking. What was it about him that made his speaking so authoritative? Uh, Was it perhaps that he spoke with such a booming voice that he made the windows rattle? I don't think so. Uh, Was it that he was always quoting other writers, which was what uh, the rabbis used to do in those days? They were always quoting the experts of a previous generation. But here Jesus speaks entirely from his own authority. Is it then that he is always making extraordinary claims about himself? Was it that he was uh, opening an Old Testament passage and saying, yes, this is me, Uh, here's another Old Testament passage, yes, this is me, and here's another one, yes, that's me too? Or is it that the Spirit of God falls on his words so that the people listening are cut to the heart? I wonder if you've ever heard preaching like that. You're sitting there and you find that you are cut to the heart. Have you ever had that experience where the sermon has got under your skin and you find you don't really want to have coffee with people afterwards, you just want to go home and do business with God by yourself? And I wonder whether people sensed as Jesus spoke that God was, as it were, cutting them in half with his words because he spoke with very, very great authority. Well, why does he go into the synagogue to preach? Uh, I mean, why doesn't he go out into the open air and do miracles and get a much bigger crowd uh, and just stand there rather like a one-man hospital and have all the sick people file in front of him so that he can heal them? Wouldn't that have been better? Why on earth does he choose instead to go into the synagogue to teach and to preach? And the answer, I think, is that he teaches because the world desperately needs information. The world needs verbal explanation. So we need to know with a message both in our ears and in our heads why the world is as it is. Uh, Who owns it? where it's come from, where it's going, who we really are, and how we need to respond. We need that information. It's absolutely basic to human nature. For example, when we're told to stay at home, uh, that we can't go to work, that we can't meet our friends for coffee, uh, that we can only go for a walk before breakfast, Uh, that we have to wear a mask, well, we need someone to tell us why. We need some explanation. Now, miracles, you see, don't do that. Miracles are ambiguous. You see, you can watch a miracle and be hardened. You can watch a miracle and be softened. And uh, some of the people who watch Jesus perform miracles, almost in the next breath, were saying to one another, let's kill him. So you see, we do need a teacher. We need someone with a firm grip on reality who's going to say to us, there's a king. He expects you to drop your weapons. He does expect you to surrender to him. He will give you a pardon. He will forgive you. 
that now is the time for you to take him seriously now that is Jesus' priority that's why he goes into the synagogue to preach and friends if you don't believe me about this won't you please look at verse 23 because the devil gets it that I think is the shock in the passage the devil knows that the teaching and the preaching are his worst enemy so the demons that have taken up residence in this man who've been silent for years suddenly shout out and we read in verse 23 just then actually uh, in the original the word is immediately which is a word that appears 40 times in Mark's gospel immediately as Jesus began to preach there's a man with a demon interrupting now as soon as we see demons and a man with a demon we come back don't we to a question that we were considering a couple of weeks ago which is is the Christian faith a natural thing or is it a supernatural thing you see there are plenty of people who look at Christianity and say well it's pretty harmless really uh, it's, uh, it's a bit like a golf club um, it's got its own rules it's uh, got its own fees and uh, people go along who like that sort of thing it's just a harmless club but you see the New Testament tells us that Christianity is actually supernatural there is a God, there is a devil there is heaven, there is hell now it's very easy I think when you're teaching Mark's Gospel to come to verse 23 and uh, to feel that you've got to start apologising about the evil spirits and feel that you've got to do some fancy footwork to explain why Mark is even bothering to talk about them and yet you see in Africa uh, most people today have no problem whatsoever uh, accepting the existence of evil spiritual beings and we're going to talk about that more in our home groups this week this morning I want us to see that as we read about the demons and the devil in Mark's gospel that it's not an accident that this is happening at exactly the same time as Jesus begins to preach you know there are lots of people today who will testify to an experience of demonic activity but can we this morning not miss the point that in Mark's gospel the powers of darkness are active because the light of the world has come into the world so here is Jesus and there is this spiritual backlash and very very significantly the backlash happens as Jesus starts to preach you'll notice that the man in verse 24 feels himself possessed he says what do you want with us that means him and the demon or maybe him and several demons but notice that Jesus is concerned for the man and he speaks just one authoritative word that the demons would come out and he frees the man just by speaking when the demons speak to Jesus in verse 24 it's actually quite aggressive it's rather like battle lines are being drawn up interestingly they identify him as the Holy One of God which actually is extremely un unhelpful and it's extremely unhelpful 
because by identifying who Jesus is but not what he's come to do which is to die on the cross they identify him as some kind of divine superhero and that's going to confuse everyone who's listening because if the people you see have preconceived ideas about the Messiah conquering the Romans well they're going to be bitterly disappointed so the devil here is doing what he always does which is to confuse people and make their lives much more difficult by identifying that yes Jesus is very special but not saying what he's come to do so please notice that the devil and demons believe in Jesus they know perfectly well who he is they know about Jesus and yet they don't relate to Jesus and just as an aside uh, the Apostle James in his letter says that people in church who know about Jesus but don't relate to him are in a very serious situation well the crucial point to notice is that at the end of this whole episode having preached and cast out a demon the people say in verse 27 well this person Jesus is amazing he has great authority he teaches with great authority and he even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him now I find the sequence there very interesting you see if I had just seen a preacher cast out a demon well I think I'd have forgotten all about the sermon uh, I would have said this is absolutely amazing he's just cast out a demon but here you see the first thing they say is that Jesus taught with amazing authority that's the thing that stood out for them oh and yes by the way he also cast out an evil spirit but of course you see this is God isn't it come into the world and he's speaking just as you would expect God to speak in his world what does he want to do in the synagogue he wants to teach the gospel uh, what does he do to free a demon possessed man he speaks and therefore friends if we believe his words are powerful and if we base our lives on his words well we're on very safe ground indeed because his words are powerful now today of course the devil attacks the word of God in various different ways uh, you'll probably know in your own experience he does it in your quiet times he does it in your over busy timetable he does it through your doubts he does it in our church services he does it on the mission field the devil's top priority is always to attack the ministry of the word of God so do I need to tell you that the devil is going to rage against biblical ministries and against biblical pastors uh, do I need to tell you that the devil is always looking for ways to bring down a faithful Bible teaching pastor that he's going to rejoice to see the word of God marginalised in a church and uh, replaced by pep talks or man-centred messages or sheer ritual that means absolutely nothing 
All of that would make the devil extremely happy. Anything but teaching the word of God. But you see, what we're learning from Jesus is that people need the word of God and we see this in the example of Jesus going straight to the synagogue to preach and we see the power of the word of God as Jesus speaks to a man who's demon possessed that's why Jesus has come now friends your life at the moment might be quite easy Uh, the word of God might not seem all that urgent to you but we need the word of God every day we don't live by bread alone we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God so that's why Jesus is always teaching He hasn't come to fix the world and make it a perfect place. No, he's come to get men and women ready for eternity. And that's why he announces the kingdom. And in the midst of the global pandemic, what you and I need to be doing is putting our minds very firmly on the word of God every day and asking for grace to trust it and to obey it. So, listen well to his words secondly look well at his deeds verses 29 to 34 now there are no sermons in this section Uh, this little section tells us what Jesus did his deeds and you'll see that Jesus is more than just a talker he's more than just a preacher he has irresistible authority but he's also deeply loving to people. And that's why in verse 29 he goes into the home of Simon and Andrew. By the way, I don't know whether you know this, but they've located Simon Peter's home in Capernaum. It must be a wonderful thing, mustn't it, to uh, do archaeology and discover something like that that anchors these Bible stories in history. So Jesus goes into the home of Simon and Andrew Simon's mother-in-law is in bed with a fever. Now the word in the original uh, describes a dangerous temperature. And uh, in the first century, uh, this wasn't a small thing that would go away with a course of antibiotics and a few days in bed. It was a fatal thing that would take you out of this world. So when we read that she was sick with fever, this is extremely serious. And so, in his compassion, Jesus goes in and heals her. And uh, again, the word in the original here is that he he raises her, which I think is just a tiny foretaste of the great resurrection to come. So now, Jesus has done two miracles on the Sabbath. He sent a demon out of a man in the synagogue, and he's cured Simon's mother-in-law from a dangerous fever. And now it's evening, and the Sabbath is over. And uh, the people of the village feel that now it's okay to bring all the sick people they can possibly find and bring them to the house. And they all pile in to Simon Peter's house. And uh, if you want to know the numbers, in verse 34, we're told that many people uh, are made well, which means that all of them were healed. Whatever the disease was, Jesus healed it. He is completely masterful over every disease and every sickness. 
And that teaches us what an extraordinary king he is. Not just power over the supernatural world, but he's also compassionate over this world and deeply, deeply committed to people. And uh, it's not hard, is it, to imagine what that evening must have been like. Uh, Mark says the whole town gathered at the door. And just imagine that. A large crowd uh, bringing everybody who was sick and perhaps mentally disturbed on stretchers, the blind, lepers and so on. Today the media would be all over it. The TV cameras would be there. The newspaper reporters would be there. And one of them would ask, well, what can he do about COVID-19? And someone would shout back, well, he can deal with that no problem. He can cure anyone of anything. So what do we learn about Jesus as we read this eyewitness testimony in Mark's Gospel? Well, three things, I think. First, we see that he calls people to follow. Second, we see that he has authority over supernatural powers. And third, we see that he has authority over physical illness. And all of that is recorded for us so that you will say, well, he is most able, the most willing king in the universe. And I'm going to trust him and I'm going to give myself to him. I'm not going to pull back from him. I'm not going to live a double life because he's very great and he's very good and I am going to trust him. Now that is the point of Mark chapter 1. Jesus has not come to bandage the world up. He's come to prove that he's God so that you will trust him. Yes, he's heading to the cross because that's the only way that our sins can be dealt with and that a way into glory can be opened up for us. But at the moment, at this point in the Gospel, he simply wants you to trust him. So it amazes me, therefore, as we look at the power of Jesus and at the love of Jesus, how people today who have no understanding of the Bible whatsoever can be so patronising towards him. I mean, when you read the New Testament and you see just how magisterial he is, you know that when someone is patronising towards Jesus and mocks him, that they're making a huge mistake. At his trial, Jesus was beaten up and whipped, but you remember that he exercised great patience with the people who were doing it. And when people attack him today, both verbally and by their lifestyle, he is still exercising that extraordinary patience. And it amazes me that people can be so dismissive about someone so powerful and so wonderful. And it also amazes me and saddens me how thankless people can be in the face of his goodness and his kindness. Uh, Not so long ago, one of the talk shows on the radio featured the story of a young man aged about 15 who'd been injured very badly playing rugby and he was now in a coma. Uh, All he could do was lie flat on the hospital bed and blink with his eyes. To his credit, the radio host said he visited the boy, he 
held his hand and ruffled his hair and the boy could only look back at him and blink and uh, the radio host said that he went back to his car and wept and then he said this such a fine boy there is no God there is no God but then shortly afterwards he was joined on the programme by a TV newsreader who said that not only had the boy recovered but that he walked out of the hospital unaided now you would have thought wouldn't you that they would say at this point well there is a God after all but they didn't they said what a brave boy what self-belief I don't know about you but I think there's something deeply disturbing about that because the attitude of so many people today is if something goes wrong let's blame God if something goes right well let's congratulate ourselves the Bible says exactly the opposite the Bible says all the problems are traceable to us and all the blessings are traceable to God so that I think is a very evil way of thinking especially if we fix our minds on these sections of the New Testament I mean if someone we love is wrongly accused or deprived of rightful recognition I think we would be distressed by that well every day someone is being wrongly accused and deprived of their rightful recognition which is why Christians in the Lord's Prayer pray hallowed be your name Lord we do want you to be recognised for who you are and that's why our witness as Christians is so very important that we do stand up and speak for him especially in the current global crisis so what have we seen in these two sections this morning we've seen the power of his words and therefore you and I need to listen to Jesus very carefully if you're discouraged or sad or fearful today love the promises uh, if you've fallen into sin if you're full of doubt you need his promises and we also see his love especially in his deeds of course these are the early deeds in his ministry when he's performing these miraculous signs of healing but the greatest deed which he's done for you is to take your place at Calvary and to carry the curse so that you and I can enjoy the blessing and you see you and I need to put our minds on that every day and ask God to help us not become stale or careless so that's our king in those two little paragraphs we see that he's a great teacher with a very firm grip on reality and we see that he's full of love and the ability and the willingness to put things right the question is will you trust him let's pray Heavenly Father we give you thanks this morning that you've shown us again the great authority of the Lord Jesus his complete mastery and command over evil and sickness 
and we thank you that we see in these verses the deep compassion the love, the healing, the beauty and we pray that you would incline our hearts to Christ that you would help us not only to trust him but also to obey him and we pray that you would help us to tell of his greatness and goodness this week as you give us opportunity and we ask these things in Jesus name Amen